Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is divorced, committeth adultery." Okay, now last week, you remember, we saw, we covered the importance of this commandment in Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill, which of course means thou shalt not murder. We saw how the Lord explained that this was not only referring to literal murder, but it actually extended to anger. The anger was serious, and he said in verses 21 through 22, he talked about being in danger of the council and being in danger of hellfire or the consequences to anger. And really what he was talking about there was a separation from God. It's the same, this is what all sin does from Isaiah 59.1. Isaiah 59.1 says the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So the Lord is drilling down on sins that separate from God, and now he comes to the next sin that separates from God, which is in verse 27, and it's on the subject of adultery. So this is the seventh of the Ten Commandments, the one that's in the next verse, Exodus 20, verse 14. So he's going from 13 was murder, 14 now is adultery. And on the surface, it all seems so simple. It just seems like, well, all you have to do is just don't come together intimately with another man's wife, and you're free and you're clear from breaking this commandment. And so he's now moving on to saying how wrong an understanding that is when he says, and he starts off by, as he has been doing, identifying they've been misled. They've been deceived with these words, you have heard in verse 27. You have heard that it was sent by them of old time. Now, what they had heard was just that all you have to do is don't get intimately involved with another man's wife and you're not committing adultery. That's what they heard. That's what the people were taught. And they were taught that the seventh commandment here only referred to the act and nothing further. The Pharisees taught that, look, If you have a desire in your heart and it doesn't go any further than an act, you're good. 
There's no reference here to thoughts or or desires. And that's how come the Pharisee could stand in the temple in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Luke chapter 18, verse 11, that's how he could do this. It says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican, he's pointing there. So the Pharisee, he really believed. He could lust after another woman and not be as other men are, adulterers. And this is the issue here that the Lord's addressing when he's saying that you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's really saying that you've heard you can lust and want to, commit adultery in all you want, as long as you don't do the act and you're not an adulterer. So now the Lord is stepping in and he's saying, okay, now I will tell you what this commandment really means. I'm gonna reveal it to you. And when he does this, he's cutting right across what the Pharisees had taught on the issue here is the issue of authority. That's the issue. This is the issue that's been raised here, authority. So in this came to a head when the Pharisees came to him Later, in Matthew 21, 23, Matthew 21, 23, when it says, and when he was coming into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? So this issue here of authority is what made the Lord's teaching so different from theirs. As a matter of fact, when he's finished with the Sermon on the Mount, it says in Mark 1, in Mark 1.22, it says, talking about the people, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And you can imagine how when people would talk about his teaching, they would say it was amazing. It was amazing because he did something that the scribes and Pharisees never did for us. He taught with authority. Now, he's Jesus He's Jesus teaching them, but he's the same Jehovah Jesus who actually gave the law. So who better to interpret the law than the one who gave it? So breaking any of the commandments, but especially this is brought out with this particular commandment, breaking any of the commandments causes two problems for man, two problems. And you can see those two problems in 1 John 1, 9. In 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins... God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what that verse is doing, 1 John 1, 9 is doing, is it's calling out for us two problems from sin. One is an external problem and the other is an internal problem. So the external problem that sin causes, it's a personal offense against God. It's right in the face of God. It's personally offensive to God. Sin is so offensive to God. This is what Joseph saw when he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife to lie with her, and he said in Genesis 39.9, Genesis 39.9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is what Joseph saw. This is the worst part about this, what you're suggesting to me, is that this will be a offense to God. It's a personal in the face of God, God who is holy, without sin. So this is the first problem with sin. Problem with sin is that, and that's why it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess, he forgives. That solves the first problem that sin causes. But the offense against God is only half the problem. 
It's only half the problem that sin causes because the second half that sin causes, it creates an internal crisis in the soul, and that's a crisis of moral uncleanness or defilement. And that's a major problem. It's a major problem that causes a person to feel so dirty inside, so guilty, so shameful, and especially when you get to this area of the violation of sexual purity, it especially causes this feeling of uncleanness. And that's why God has said he'll solve that problem too. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, problem one that sin causes, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the second problem. And this is what we see when we look at the coming the prophecy that speaks about what's coming for the Jewish people, when it says in Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10, it says that the Jewish people will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. So when that happens, when they come to face-to-face with sin, then lest they should be plunged into a hopeless despair where there's no hope. Right away in the first verse in chapter 13, Zechariah 13, 1, God says, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So the two side. Okay, well, this commandment, the seventh commandment, is the one that creates the greatest amount of uncleanness in the soul when he says in verse 28, I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And now, when the Lord said that, we have to picture this. The people were astonished, as we saw in Mark 1, 22. They were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished to hear there's something wrong to look on a woman to lust after her. That was shocking for them. They were shocked. They were shocked. I, I can't scan a woman. I can't give her the once over. That's wrong. And so the Lord said, yes, and he focused specifically on the looking. He says, looking on a woman. And then he goes on in verse 30, and he says, if your right eye offends you, then better remove that. I mean, it's better to remove that. Okay, that's what he said. So the whole idea here is looking. And when he talks about looking, it takes us back to the first sin. The first sin of Eve there in Genesis 3, verse 6. Genesis 3, verse 6, it's very interesting how the sequence of her sin is described when it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So it all starts there with the woman seeing the fruit. It all starts when it says it was pleasant to the eyes. It starts with their eyes. That's how it happened with Eve. She looks at the fruit. She says, oh, that's very nice. And then she takes the fruit herself. And But actually, if you kind of focus on a little bit, before her hand reaches up to take that fruit, she has actually seen in her mind, in her imagination, how good it's going to be to eat that fruit. What's going to happen? So before she even reaches her hand out there, of the actual taking of the fruit, the first step has already occurred. She saw it and she's envisioned in her mind. And that was the lust that she had for the fruit. And that lust had been conceived 
in her heart, and that drove her to reach out and do the act there of taking the fruit. So it all starts with the eyes, and that's why the Lord says, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. And then, as I mentioned about Joseph, when he was propositioned with by Potiphar's wife, the Genesis record carefully points out how it all started with her. It says in Genesis 39.7, Genesis 39.7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. I mean, what a description. She cast her eyes upon Joseph. Again, it reminds me of a fisherman. He's casting a net to catch the fish. He's casting her net, her eyes out. She's imagining this as she moves forward with her proposition and then reaches out her hand and grabs Joseph and then leaves with this coat. And then a great deliverer of Israel was Samson. He delivered Israel from the Philistines. And you think about Samson. Of course, I always think about Samson. We think about how strong he was. But as strong as he was to overcome the Philistines, he wasn't strong enough to overcome his own eyes and the women that he looked at and lusted after. And this is how the whole history of Samson opens up for us in Judges 16.1. In Judges 16.1, when it says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. So Samson's eyes land on this woman, and then lust is ignited in his heart, and then his act follows. And this eventually, because it carried on, led to his destruction with Delilah. And it's interesting what it says about what happened to him, because his eyes were seeing all these women, and then of all that the Philistines could have done to Samson, I mean, of all that they could have done to him, they focused on his eyes and they gouged out his eyes. A very, very horrible, very horrible scene. They gouged out his eyes. It was almost like, Samson, you couldn't control your eyes. It was really better for you if you plucked out your eyes. The Philistines will do it for you. And so that's what happened. And then the greatest trouble that happened in Jacob's family all started from a man who couldn't control his eyes. And this was, of course, the rape of his daughter, of his daughter Dina. And it all started, as the record shows, in Genesis 34-2, Genesis 34-2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, this is Dina, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So the steps were he saw her, he took her, he lay with her, he defiled her. And then David, David, who... Really, we get an introduction to who David is with Goliath. He conquers enemy after enemy, but there's one enemy that overcame him. And that record is in 2 Samuel 11 2. 2 Samuel 11 2. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. So again, this is the record of David's defeat. When it says in 2 Samuel eleven two, he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. So when you look at all these mighty men 
and you see their defeat, it all begins with their eyes. And that's why the eyes are, of the lost are described in 2 Peter 2.14, 2 Peter 2.14, which says, they have eyes of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Then that's an important link. The eyes of adultery and then that cannot cease from sin. That word cannot is a very strong word. It means it's not that they may not or cease from sin or they, they don't want to cease from sin. As long as the eyes are full of adultery, this is a matter of cannot, of an inability. It's the same thing that the Lord said to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 33, Matthew 12, 33, where he said, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, the world is just one big enticement of the eyes. That's why the world's described in 1 John 2.16 as for all that is in the world, 1 John 2.16 says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. The lust of the eyes is not of the Father, is, is of the world. It reminds me, you know, I told you this before, when my three boys were little, well, it was two at this point, my boys were little, and San Diego Hardware used to be on Fifth Avenue. I remember, who remembers San Diego Hardware on Fifth Avenue? Of course, Don, you do, because you're the oldest person here, so... <laughs> Yeah, so it was down there on Fifth Avenue, and we were in the 70s, how San Diego was really kind of more of a sailor town. And so that meant that there were all kinds of pornographic shops down there, especially on Fifth Avenue. And so one time I needed to go down to San Diego Hardware, and my little boys and I, we had to walk on Fifth Avenue because we couldn't park in front of San Diego Hardware. So it would mean we had to walk by the pornographic shops. So I told my boys, I said, now, boys, I said, now, we're going down there. I said, you just walk down. You look, just look at the sidewalk. <laughs> I, said, I said, don't look to the side. And I said, just do what it says in Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25 says, let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So it's the whole matter of the eyes. And Job was a person who struggled to control his eyes. And he knew that his heart was going to follow right behind his eyes, which is why he said in Job 31.7, Job 31.7, if my step hath turned out of the way, mine heart walked after mine eyes, if my heart have been deceived by a woman. So the picture here is that his heart is walking right after his eyes. States this step by step. Now, and then the wisest man in the world, Solomon, he fell. He fell in this area, and it says in Nehemiah, when he was rebuking the Jewish people because they had were falling in the same way that Solomon did, Nehemiah 13.26, Nehemiah 13.26, he says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. So you can kind of picture Solomon, and he's looking back over his life. He's envisioning his heart following after his eyes, his downfall, and he says, I've got to write something down so people don't do the same thing I did. So he writes Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 that says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is a sequence 
the eyes, the heart, just like the Ralph Wilder Emerson wrote when he wrote this, he says, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. That's just following what the Lord is saying here in Matthew 5. Only we would probably add one more phrase to the top of that, which would be, sow a glance, the eye, sow a glance, reap a thought. Sow a thought, reap an act, sow an act, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Because that's what the Lord is saying in verse 28. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. And Job was so troubled by this, by his eyes looking where they shouldn't have looked and by the impure thoughts. It's interesting because he says, I made a bargain with my eyes. I made a deal with my eyes. It says in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So it's almost like Job could have just written right after that, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. So he's so concerned with this about what his eyes are looking at that he says he made a covenant with his eyes. Now, that's pretty graphic. I mean, you know, Job, he says he makes an agreement with his eyes. I mean, can't you imagine the conversation that, that Job might have had with his eyes? You know, the negotiation part. <laughs> he might have said something like, now look, eyes. Here's the deal, <laughs> he would have said. If you look on a woman, then my heart is not gonna be pure. I'm gonna be impure. And that's important for my heart to be pure because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So eyes, if you feed my heart with the impure, then you won't be able to see God. And seeing God is far more pleasurable. And so let's make a deal. Here's the deal. You don't look on a woman to feed my heart to lust and get defiled, and then you get to see God. And his eyes said, that sounds good. And so then Job walks away, and in Job 31, 1, it says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. It was successful. Anyway, okay, so you think I'm crazy. That's fine. All right, anyway, so Abraham said that Sarah was his sister. Pharaoh took her to be in his harem, and then he realized that God warned him don't touch her. And then he returns her. Pharaoh returns Sarah to Abraham. It's interesting what he says in Genesis 20, verse 16. Genesis 20, verse 16, when he says, unto Sarah, he said, behold, I've given thy brother a thousand feet of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. So what he was saying to her is he was saying, may your husband be a protective cover of you, like a veil, so that others won't look and lust after you. Now the Lord, again, he's going through saying things which are astonishing, which are shocking to the people. He talks about the heart. He says, committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you can imagine the people sitting there thinking, I never heard of heart adultery before. That's what he's talking about, heart adultery. Heart adultery, that's radical. That's the adultery that comes from thoughts and desires, and he's condemning that. And this is what David said in Psalm 66, 18, Psalm 66, 18, when David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's interesting, though, the word regard, the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to see. So what David was saying there is say, if I imagine, if I see, if I envision 
iniquity in my heart, then God's going to withdraw himself. He's talking about fantasies because the Bible calls thoughts and desires like that, calls it the conception of sin. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 